You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Professor David Kirk Philp, along with Dr. Esteban. Emeritus Marconi. And we are here bringing you the best that the music business has to offer. Absolutely. 2021 Brave New Radio, WPSC. But let's just call it Brave New Radio for now. We have a great guest today. His name is Tom, name is Tom Brisland, keyboard player for Kansas. Uh, but he's also a Jersey boy, a William Patterson University alum. He's played with Meatloaf. Yes, Debbie, Harry, and many more. We're going to get to him shortly. Tom, is that okay if we get to you shortly? Oh, that's quite all right. All right. And they, then you should have said, and don't call me shortly. But that's, that's for later. So, Dr. Staber, are you doing well? Are you doing okay? We haven't had a yes. show in a little bit, so I'll make sure you're feeling good. I know. It's been about a month since we recorded one. And uh, what has come out uh, to the world? What have we whelped since July, we July 30th. What happened? A big day for Marconi and Philp. Yeah. Yes, it was the seventh edition of Managing Your Band. That's seven editions by Rowan, uh, published by Rowan, Roman and Littlefield. Yes. Yeah, yeah Roman and I thought it was Rowan and Littlefield. My daughter goes to Rowan University, so I kept wow. thinking it was Rowan and Littlefield, but I just finally learned it after we'd signed a contract and had an M in there. That's right. Yeah, so it makes me good. I was showing the book to uh, Tom, so those of you listening have no idea what the book looks like, but let's just say it looks really good. Yeah. Excellent, excellent book with verbs and paragraphs and sentence structure. I think every, all, every listener is going to love to read this. Not book. too many errors either. No, so far there are not too many errors, and it was done very well, and it's good for any era. See what I did there? I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very good. So that's music biz. I'm sorry. So that's managing your band seventh edition out now. Uh, we should give thanks, should we not? Yes, we should. Let us do so. So we're going to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bernal, Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent Kiss, Zach Brown, and Tima Likes Music. Oh. Place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB uh, <laughs> hyphen CPA. 
Music.com when you're ready. And I brought up Tima Likes Music because she's one of the artists that I manage. And just to put my money where my mouth is, Aaron Van Dyne, Van Dyne Bruno are her business manager. Wow. Effectively uh, like uh, three weeks ago or something. So that, on. That's great. So I use them. You should use them too. Then we want to give thanks to Christine. Oi. They, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Although she has retired, she is. So what are we, do, what are we doing? She has retired, but is she still related to the Forefront Group? We're still talking about the Forefront Group? Yes, she has her fingers in. She still has her fingers in every piece of the pie at Forefront Group. Um, and there is no white collar crime going on there. Not with Christine. None at all. Oy vey. And um, so can they still contact her at the yes. group email? Yep. All right. So they can still contact her. Christine at Forefront.com. There's no, it's just Christine. There's no oy vey. It's That's right. Christine at Forefront.com. Yes. But what do they do? Should they leave something off for savings? Oh, yes, they do. Leave the- <laughs> we are so green. I know. Yes, leave the last, last, leave the last S off for savings. The last oi off for oy. savings is the joke that we've <laughs> said hundreds of times. We've got some editing to do here. There's no I know. Or we'll keep it so that our listeners know how real we are. So, we are done with that. We are done with all of that. And that's going to bring us right back to our guests, who I mentioned earlier, Tom Brislin. And Dr. Esteban, you're going to begin with the third degree. And then Tom is just going to be so eloquent with the way he speaks. That are in love, not only with the way he tickles keyboards, but the way he tickles our funny bone with his jokes. Right. Personality, go! <laughs> okay, Tom, rather than the usual because I've seen some of the um, podcasts and the thing Casio did on you and so on and so forth. Rather than go chronologically, I'm just going to jump in with, um, you've stepped in for some great groups. I mean, you know, Kansas, of course, and yes, and so on. Uh, How do you do that? First of all, how do you get the reputation that you can be called to jump in with these groups who are already out on the road playing their standard sets and so on. How do you sort of get into that realm? And secondly, what do you do to get yourself ready so that the first night you're not totally flabbergasted by what happens? I think it starts at the local level. You know, right out of college, I was uh, doing gigs all around with my band and I was also at large, whoever needed a keyboard player, I was, you know, just trying to work as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, about uh, shortly after graduating, like a month, I, I got connected with Glenn Burtnick, who is a successful singer-songwriter in New Jersey. Yeah. And he toured with Sticks, and he's played with numerous greatest artists and, and has number one hit songs. And I got the gig with him, and he was just doing local shows, maybe we'd go to New York or Philadelphia, but it was even a lot of Jersey shore and things like that. And I dove head first into the music and I like wanted to really bring his album to life. He did this album called Palookaville in 96 and it was all, uh, had a lot of uh, orchestration on the album. And 
I didn't want to just show up and, and play some chords on the piano. I wanted to show that I did my homework and I, I started programming synth sounds and had all the Mellotron sounds and Hammond organ over here and synth strings mm -hmm. here, and realistic sounds. I wanted to have the palette. Of course, I only had one keyboard at the time. So I was like flipping around from sound to sound as furiously as possible. But I bring it, this all up because I took it really seriously and I worked with Glenn and it was a couple of years after uh, I started working with him that he referred me to Meatloaf and because he uh, had collaborated with Kazem Sultan, who was Meatloaf's musical director and bassist at the time. Many know Kazem from Todd Rundgren and Utopia. And so I got the audition to tour with Meatloaf and Lo and behold, a lot of my jazz training from William Patterson came in handy, even though you wouldn't think of anything close to jazz when you think of the music of Meatloaf. But the way he performs is that the pianist has to be directly locked in on what he's doing. He'll pause whenever he wants to pause. He'll speed up or slow down, anything for dramatic effect. And a lot of people who came up in just doing pop and rock gigs weren't really acclimated to that as much. Whereas in jazz, it's like the first thing we're taught. Rufus Reed points to the board and says, listen, <laughs> listen to the rest of your band. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I was grateful for that, but it, it was it, from there, it, um, it moved from one to the next. I, I was in Meatloaf's band for a few years. And when Yes came calling, uh, they had the same management as Meatloaf and that was one instance where I did sort of boast to the managers at the time when I saw that there might be a possibility of working with them. I said, I was raised on this music and um, I can deliver, you know, I know all this stuff like the back of my hand. They're like, yeah, sure, kid, whatever. But um, lo and behold, uh, 20 years ago <laughs> in 2001, I got the call and it was, hey, yes, is going on tour with an orchestra. Rick Wakeman, you know, the group's longtime keyboardist, will be back in a year. We want someone for this year. Is that something you'd be interested in doing? And of course, I mean, I had the posters of this band up on my wall. And so I, when I was a kid, so I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> and then so that getting that gig opened up the floodgates to a lot of the progressive rock stuff. And um, I was able to get gigs on reputation just because the music of yes is so demanding. And so I said, all right, well, if he, if he takes care of business for a group like yes, we should be in, we should be in good shape. Mm -hmm. um, but preparation, once I got the gigs was often, I didn't have a lot of lead time all the time. And that was another thing that actually helped me get more gigs because they heard, oh man, he got this music together in a month or all on his own. And, and none of these groups delivered any charts or sheets or anything. It was like a CD mm -hmm. and it was, Hey, figure it out and, you know, get the sounds too while you're at it. Um, so I, I just went full on into that and um, it's, it's kind of led a steady stream of, of different um, gigs and, until today. Mm -hmm. So it's almost, uh, like in a genre that you loved uh, and you knew the songs, whether you'd play them for yourself or whatever. What, what if, what's, I'm making something up. Let's say you got a call from uh, a punk band mm -hmm. manager. 
would you step in or would you say it's just not my thing? Like when I was a player, I'd say I don't do Dixieland. Don't, <laughs> don't call me. It, it depended on the stage of my career, I think. Yeah. Or, the, or the further you go back, the more yeses there are. <laughs> the more that I say yes to the gig, you know, uh, it was like the, the old Batman show, you know, it's like, here's a gig. Okay, jump down the pole, go to the gig, you know, right. and play yeah. everything. But, you know, one of my heroes is, is Herbie Hancock. And I remember that in, a, in an interview with him from years back, he said that he prided himself on being a, a versatile musician. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that I wanted to aspire to as well. So if there ever came a call for something that really wasn't in my wheelhouse, I would oftentimes, I, I'd take a look and see what's the upside here. Mm. You know, because of course, let, let's be honest, someone throws a boatload of money at you. It's like, it's easy to <laughs> kind of yeah. say, well, this isn't, I'm not going to, you know, be too dainty about it unless I just, unless it's something I can't abide by, which that hasn't really happened in my, in my experience. Mm. But I would say, that, you know, early on, I, I was saying yes to, to so many things that I was like a fish out of water sometimes. And, and most of the time it worked out. Sometimes I'd find myself, this is back when I was like, sort of just hitting all the local between club dates. And I played piano in a restaurant. I played it, I'd get my jazz quartet together with some players from William Patterson and go um, play at a, in, you know, an art auction or something. And, and then, um, but there were there were a few gigs that I was called upon that I could see that I wouldn't probably be the long term guy, but for a showcase or something like that, I could I could step into it. But mm-hmm. the closer we get to the present, the more I've I, I've learned to to say no, <laughs> and that's really important um, because you never know what kind of opportunity you might be sacrificing if you if you go for something where you really don't feel like you belong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so, but it took me many years to kind of build that confidence and, and even that, that sort of leverage. Right. So if we transfer this over to songwriting, the same thing sort of applies. If you're, well, even now you're written songs for Kansas, of course, on this album and so on. So now you've got to write like Kansas or write like yourself and hope Kansas Explain that for the listeners. I think that there was enough of that Kansas music in my psyche that it was natural that I was, I would be able to write in that style, Mm -hmm. especially since I had just joined the band in 2019 and we had this major show to perform. It was, you know, two and a half hour concert of their uh, classic seventies albums and so that music was swimming around my head. Although when I was asked to join Kansas, I, I definitely, I asked Phil Ehart, the drummer and, and group's manager, who, mm-hmm. who's the one who called me to, to join. And I asked him about songwriting because that was some, that was a door that wasn't always open to me. It actually never was unless I was doing my own band. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, when he said, we want you to join the band, we don't want you to be a touring only guy or have an asterisk after your name. Like you are the keyboardist of Kansas. You will be a member of Kansas. And I said, does that mean songwriting is, is uh, open? And he's like, yeah, show us what you got. And so I, I had first things first, though, I had to learn this set. There's a million notes in this music. You know, a lot of people yeah. think Kansas is, is just dust in the wind and, you know, but there's, it gets really progressive and, wow. and um, 
And so I had a lot of homework to do. And again, I'm learning it all by ear. I'm transcribing it all and, and doing the programming. But I didn't want to let that opportunity pass by when they said, yeah, you can, you can write. So the first thing I did was I noticed that Zach Rizvi, who was a uh, second guitarist in the group and was also one of the major writers for Kansas in the last few years, he had written several songs, uh, music only, that were approved for the album. They got the green light. And so I said, well, maybe the best way I can get my foot in the door here and to start with is to write some lyrics to those songs that were already approved because that was what was missing uh, from, from these songs. So I had to, I, I kind of got to work as a lyricist first and they gave me a little guidance. So to, to your question, like kind of writing in the style of a particular group, I, there were certain topics and certain kind of just the, the vibe of the, the language that, yeah. you know, I had to kind of get into that too, but I figure, well, if it's, if I had uh, something that was cool <laughs> and something that was worthwhile and, and like a, like a hip thing, like I could, I could, you know, just, there's enough words in the, in the English language that I could pick the ones that work with, with Kansas. But musically speaking, by the time I started writing music for the group, I had already been playing gigs with the group and I had this music in my head for, so it was natural that the parts that I was coming up with or, or just even the, everything from the core of the tune to the arrangement, um, it was definitely um, probably much more kansas-esque <laughs> than if i had started writing some songs a year earlier right okay so let's say uh then you bring the song in and you're the new guy in the band is it like you're now playing it for the rest of the guys or is it a real open dialogue on on the thing and you're not like a little stepbrother first before you know it's well yeah you, being the new guy, I, I had to sort of get the feel for how the group worked creatively because yeah. it was relatively straightforward to just get up on stage and start playing the music with the group. Um, but learning how the, the flow of creativity goes in this band and what the process is, was an education. Mm -hmm. And so the way that we do it in Kansas is that I would prepare a demo um, and send it to Phil. And he's the, you know, he's one of the founding members of the group. He's been keeping this group alive for over 40 years. And um, it all goes through him and, and, and Richard Williams, who was the, the original guitarist of the group. And they're like, you know, it's got to pass muster with them because who knows what better would be the vibe of Kansas than them who have been on every single Kansas incarnation, every single album. Mm -hmm. So once they, you know, once they are digging it, then it's, it's open where everyone else in the group can, can check it out. And it varies. I mean, sometimes I can get really specific in the demos, you know, there's that old saying, we're like, oh man, just, just play the piano, give us a vocal. You know, we want to hear the, the bones of the song and, you know, if it's a good song, it'll, we'll, we'll know it. And, and I believe that. But with progressive rock and with this group, it, it didn't hurt for me to sort of do a little bit of MIDI arranging and show them like where what this could be with a full band mm -hmm. and with all the bombast. Um, but 
you know, the, everyone will put their personality into the music. And this group doesn't have any, you know, commercial requirements anymore. Because they yeah. say, all right, well, radio's not going to play anything new by Kansas anymore. So we're going to do whatever the heck we want. And the label, Inside Out, is a progressive rock label. And it's like, it's it's the bizarro world. It's the opposite of when when we were, you know, when we used to, when I had Spiraling and it was like, yeah, shorten that song to the point. Right. Um, whereas now it's like, hey, you guys want to put a couple more solos in there? <laughs> you know, it's like, that could because their clientele, their market and uh, for the label and also for the Kansas fan base that wants to hear new music, they like, they want to sink their teeth into music. You know, the eight, eight, nine minute prog epic is no problem yeah. and it's encouraged. Yeah. Um, so we get a lot of latitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it must, it's nice huh. to get. Now, what's the average um, audience member age? Well, you have the, the original Kansas fans that saw them in the 70s and to a degree, the 80s, um, and they're still coming to shows. I meet people who are like, I, I've, you know, I've seen Kansas since 75, you know, this is my 50th show or something like that. You know, there, there, there are the diehards and, um, they're, and they're also the ones that are, that are uh, eager for new music. You know, it's not just play the hit and go home. It's it's what do you got? Um, but since the group had, you know, Carry On Wayward Son was in the soundtrack for the TV show Supernatural, which has a sort of comic con fan base, you know, mm -hmm. fantasy, sci-fi sort of thing. And we see a younger generation coming to shows and digging the band from Supernatural and from like the group right before I joined the band, they played at Comic Con in San Diego and they said it was like, it was, you know, bananas. They said, it was, they felt like the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> the, the, the crowd was, was just so happy that Kansas was there. Yeah. So it, it's, it's interesting. You never know where um, it's going to pick up. And I think for years before that, the, was a guitar hero or rock band video game and South park and the Will Ferrell movie old school where he sings dust in the wind. And, and, you know, there's these, all these little placements right. that can spark a, a whole new audience. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, well, that's the, yeah. That's the cool thing about Kansas. You're lucky that you're with a band that has, we'll say specifically, two songs that are part of the classic rock songbook, you know, carry on wayward son and dust in the wind. Right. And then for people, uh, my, my age growing, growing up with MTV, there was, um, I think fight fire with fire, yeah. big, uh, video around 84, 83, something like that. There were, then there was some more than even, um, when I was in high school, Kansas's greatest hits was a big album for people. And that had a uh, point of no return. That was, sorry, three, you had three like really massive, you know, and there were some other higher level, not deep album cuts, but, you know, but, but there are some songs there that sell the band. So anytime you play, they're going to be people there, you know, which makes it cool. And I will say as a drummer, pl I've played carry on your way, carry on wayward son many times with bands. That is like one of the hardest songs to play and to nail, you know, as a band, because Tell, tell, how about we just do that? Just for those people who ever play music, talk about that particular song playing carry on wayward son. And, and you mentioned listening earlier. Um, you can't just like phone that in every night. 
Do you agree or you're like, oh. good enough, we can just. Yeah, you can't phone anything in. It's a heads up show for the whole every moment because you can, you can get left in the dust, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> but um, Wayward Son is an interesting hit song because it has some properties to it that I don't really find. I, I'm hard pressed to think of other songs that, that do this where there's a meter change. Mm-hmm. in the tune it's shot it, it's it's a straight ahead rock song and then they they downshift into this shuffle um and and go back and forth um for those listeners who may not know what i'm talking about this is the way you count the beat you know you dividing the beat by one and two end or you go in one and the two and the one you know triplets or, mm-hmm. or straight mm-hmm. uh, straight beats and it's funny because i've i've shown some people the tune i said does the do you think it slows down there? And almost all of them say, yeah. And I'm like, well, actually it's just, it's just changing what we call the meter. Um, mm-hmm. So just rhythmically speaking, it's such a, um, it's such a simple thing. They probably, you know, I don't think they overthought it when they were in the, you know, in their practice studio, getting tunes together. I think they were just like, this is, this is cool. <laughs> I think that was the, the number one rule of these groups is that they, they kind of, came from this garage band mentality of like, let's just do something cool. And then, you know, lo and behold, music like Yes and King Crimson and Gentle Giant comes across the pond and somebody catches it on the radio and falls in love with that stuff. And all of a sudden there's this infusion of all these other elements into the music. But um, Wayward Son is, is interesting also because they hit you with like three or four hooks in a row. There's the vocal chorus, which it starts a cappella, and there's this monstrous guitar riff, number one, and then it goes to the shuffle. That's a hook. And then that, you know, before they even get to the first verse, they've already hit you with like three or four hooks. <laughs> and um, and yet it's I I don't really know of other tunes that follow that format. So it's yeah. just there's a uniqueness to it. I'm curious, that to me in 2021 when you mentioned the number of hooks in the beginning would be a very interesting song to break on TikTok. Cause as, as if you've been following, you know, TikTok, um, are you on TikTok or do you know much about TikTok? I, I barely, you know, um, okay. Cause uh, TikTok, um, has been, uh, is like the, one of the most popular social media platforms right now up there with Instagram, for example, and, and Instagram's various incarnations. And um, but TikTok has become sort of a radio, a new kind of radio. In fact, Sirius XM created TikTok, has TikTok radio. It's breaking as a as a as a social media platform, not just new songs, but classic songs as well. Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. Right. With the TikTok. Exactly. It was a TikTok that went viral. And then that song ended up streaming. I forget how many million streams it received on on Spotify, for example, after this TikTok of a guy. Just riding on a um, skateboard, drinking ocean spray with right. a contract to, to dreams by uh, right. Nick singing. That was enough. And everybody started copying, doing the same thing. So it helped that explode. So it makes me think of something organic. And that would be an organic thing. But for um, Carry On Wayward Son, all these different hooks, one of them to break for somebody to do something interesting that would trend virally on TikTok, which would be great for the band and raise the thing. And then you'd make even more money when you play boss. <laughs> yeah. And we see, I, I think I did see a TikTok with um, three acapella singers, two guys and a girl singing 
wayward son you know, mm. just that intro the harmonies and i thought that was pretty cool you know you know again that's that's definitely something that vocalists can dig into but i'm sure that with like you said with all those other riffs yeah it's, it's pretty ripe <laughs> yeah and it's cool and you mentioned the the meter change there's also in the i don't know if it's a i'm a drummer so i don't know if there's a key change during a guitar solo or not but it's when the da 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 you know oh yeah a meter change that's a uh so I never transcribed it to, uh, to what is the tempo in that middle part where it's, you know, uh, it's not a full bop, 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 bop. It sounds like you're doing sort of the long outro. Right. Where, yeah. Um, in, and Steve Walsh hits this amazing high note. And I got to say that uh, Ronnie Platt, who sings for us now, is really good at hitting those <laughs> high notes. Right. You know, and, and he's he's definitely won over the crowd because this group has a lot of, you know, as with many classic rock bands, there are those who are resistant to the new guys. Right. Um, but when we get to that part, that's at the end of the show for us. And um, again, I think it's still in that shuffle vibe that that we were doing with um, that, that the song goes to. I don't think the tempo changes too much, but you're right, it does go to a new key. And yeah, man, they're just throwing the works at you in in a in a you know I can't I can't call it a pop song, but it, it was a huge pop. Hit. Right. How do you guys do that? Well, because you mentioned because it's interesting because you mentioned your audience, um, which knows Kansas from those songs I mentioned and 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 all that in that era. You said they're looking for new stuff. So how do you guys pace a set between the stuff that everybody knows and the new stuff? that people are not familiar with really, especially that, that um, the person bringing their eight, you know, 11 year old son or their grandson to the show. How do you pace that out? So you get the, the new stuff and the, the evergreen material. When I joined the band, their previous release was, I guess, maybe three years old at that point. And we had a handful of those songs in the show. And but they were in in I guess you would say that we had two main shows. We had our long show, the point of no return anniversary uh, show. And that's like no opener. It's an evening with Kansas. It's hardcore. And we go for it. And with that, you know that you have a little bit you have the that goodwill with the fan base that you could put in new material and they're not all just going to get up and go get a hot dog or go to the bathroom or something. You know, it's like the, they're, they're sticking around for it. They want to see what's going on. So we had um, two or three songs from the Prelude Implicit, which came out before I joined. Now, The Absence of Presence, which is the current album that, that I'm on, uh, we were starting to work, we were in rehearsals for the new, to start to add the new material. And then COVID shutdown happened in 2020. So we actually released the album during lockdown um, which was, was a good thing. I mean, in a way it was like, we, we wish that we were out there supporting it on the road and making a splash, but it was hitting all the rock charts and I guess people being home and were wanting to hear some stuff. So, um, it, it did well. And it also gave us that way of staying connected with the fans, um, even though we couldn't perform. Uh, so when we haven't put the new absence of presence stuff in the set yet, because the show that the show that we've started doing in 2021 are the Kansas classics show. There is a little bit more compact and these are the things we'll play at festivals and you, casinos and stuff. And it's um, I don't want to say casual because we still get the hardcore fans at that one, too. But 
um, it, we're going to be able to incorporate some more new material into the, into the full fledged Kansas show. And um, it, I think it bodes well. Like, I, I don't know how loaded the set will be. It'll probably be two or three songs, I think. Um, but one of the interesting things is that now people have been living with this record for a year. So it's not so unfamiliar to some people. So by the time we start playing some of the new songs, like people will have been living with it for a while. So I'm really interested to see what, what the vibe is like. Well, if you just look at Spotify, interestingly, and to your credit as a band, these songs have streamed fairly well. Rock doesn't stream. Um, old rock, you know, rock by older groups does not stream well at all. And you have um, one track, uh, Throwing Mountains, that's at just about 800,000 streams. Overall, if you add it all up, um, this, stream, this record has streamed, you know, close to various songs more than 2 million times. So that's, that's really, any artist would love that, but that, that says something about your fan base. Yeah, I think everyone involved has been really pleased with how the album did. But you, it's it's an interesting course to navigate for a group like us because I bet you, I mean, that's a really good sign because I have a feeling that much, much more of our audience has probably bought a, a product, a physical product. Um, and I noticed that the, we definitely cater to the collectors too. There are probably six or seven different vinyl editions with different color vinyl. There was one that's only available in record stores. There's one that only was available from the Kansas online shop. And then you had the completionists who wanted to get them all. And, and it's a double album. It's got amazing gatefold artwork and everything. So it's like, it's boutique product. Um, for that clientele, for the for the the Kansas fan base sort of thing, um, and we even had the CD in Walmart, which I thought was just really mind blowing because I, I I actually made me go and reckon with what record what the record department of a place like Walmart is now because you had like one like sort of uh, end of a end of an aisle that had new releases. And but it's interesting. And then they have vinyl now, too. But it's all like, yeah, it's Queen. It's ACDC. It's Guns and Roses. It's the it's the, the stuff that was tried and true in that in the era of albums and CDs. Mm-hmm. Um, but this album, the Kansas album was like eight bucks at Walmart and it came with a five point one surround mix on Blu-ray. I mean, it was such a such a deal. <laughs> you know? And I was like, wow. And, and, and but I I haven't seen the physical numbers. So I, I, I'm at a loss at how to, how to gauge it comparing to the streams. Well, just the fact that Walmart, which will say, like in Top 40 Radio, which is really playing 20 songs, um, the backlog of, of artists and songs trying to break into that playlist is it's like, uh, it's like a traffic jam, you know, at rush hour, more cars that can fit on the road, you know. Um, Walmart is the same thing. There are not, you know, there's not much to a record department, to, to a music department at Walmart anymore. And the fact that a new Kansas record gets in there, that actually gives a lot of credit to the sales team at Inside Out Records or whomever is, if they're doing that or they're outsourcing that to ADA or I'm not sure who's doing their distribution or not. And you might know that, but that's, that's a really big deal that you guys got that in Walmart. Yeah, it's uh, we're under the Sony 
Okay, so um, probably the orchard, orchard, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah orchard at this okay. point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's the Sony Music family, um, and it's interesting though because you know even even in under that umbrella, there's a lot of competition, <laughs> and, and who's going to get the attention? which bands are going to get all that attention. That's what I like about Inside Out because the people who are there are, they're championing this stuff. And we're kind of like one of the tentpole acts for the, for the label, us and Dream Theater. And, you know, we're the legacy bands, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And now Yes is also on Inside Out. Um, so, uh, and then, but the younger bands like Haken um, and some of these other groups from all over the world who are just killing it, um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm at a loss. Like, I think it's just, it, it, it's, it's a little confusing and to know what, what to do, but I think it's, it's definitely turned, turned a little bit upside down. Whereas, you know, back when I was doing music management, it was the tour was there to support the album. Right. And now it's almost kind of like reverse. Oh. The album will support the tour. So getting, just getting back to the music, um, while we're on Kansas and the whole progressive rock thing, was there, and you're a school musician, was there another, I know they just lost the violinist last month, <clears throat> uh, but was there another school musician or this was this all organic? The, uh, the, the harmonies, the great harmonies in the beginning and then the extended play and so on. Yeah, I, I think that, well, Carrie Livgren, who's one of the original members, had, was sort of the, the real genius of the group. He was the one that was bringing them all the progressive ideas. And I think that maybe he had some, maybe a couple of lessons or some, cho- like sang in a choir or something. But I think he went out and, and was seeking this out himself. You know, I was, I was, it was an eye opener to learn how, when I started playing with all these groups, how many of them were really like, garage bands that just figured it out themselves organically yeah but in yes chris squire sang in in boy choir when he was younger and so he knew about choral music rick wakeman was a um i guess a conservatory dropout you would say and so he had some some training and Emerson took piano lessons from the lady in town but never went to never went beyond that And, but just their hunger and for, for new information and for, for learning however they could. I mean, and most of these guys were getting signed when they were 18, 19, 20. So Mm -hmm. they were on the road. Um, But yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. I'm, I'm often, I often find myself as one of the only people in a group that reads music or Mm -hmm. um, had training. Although our, our current violinist, David Ragsdale, I mean, he played with the Tulsa symphony Mm-hmm. And um, he's, you know, he, he's pretty incredible. And, and that's, that's his world coming up through, you know, as many violinists are, you know, coming from the symphony world. Right. So when, just let me finish the thought. So then when arranging, you bring a tune into the band, I don't, from my own experience, you bring a tune into the band. And then when the band starts rehearsing it, of course, it, it becomes part of the band. And not that necessarily everybody has to have their two cents, but it just becomes the way players play. It becomes part of the band's sound. Is that like, um, did you vision that in your head 
when you were writing the tunes that sort of he was going to bring in this and he was going to bring in this and so on? I wasn't sure. I, I, I actually did um, at first try to write really open-ended demos that mm-hmm. just had, you know, chord progression and melody and very little else to see. Cause I wanted to give everybody the wide berth. I wanted to, cause again, it was also me being such a newbie in the group. I didn't want to be like, all right, here's what you got to play. Mm-hmm. And this and that, and that, you know, I just wanted to be, um, you know, I, I, I wanted, I was, I was perfectly prepared to just give it up to the group and, and see how it shakes out. And lo and behold, they, they kind of wanted a little bit more for me. They, they were open for, for more direction to say, you know, show us, show us how you want this to go. And I mean, it even got to a point where if I played, um, you know, if I made a demo of the song, like for instance, the song Memories Down the Line, which is on the album, uh, which I wrote the music and lyrics for, I had placeholder guitar solos in the demo. I don't play guitar. I'm playing it on, a, you know, a, a plug-in, right. a MIDI guitar. But um, I was perfectly just saying, this is where the solo will be. Play what you like. And Richard... <laughs> He liked what was on the demo. So he, he learned the solo that I wrote and, and it was perfectly fine with him. He was just like, oh, this sounds good to me. I'll, I'll do it. And there were, there were other parts where um, there's the other, one of the other tunes that I wrote the music for is the last song on the album called The Song the River Sang. And that ends with a cacophony of interjecting and colliding solos and sound effects and things. And, and that was more of like, go for it you know you you but even then like they I could tell that they were sort of playing with a nod to what I gave them mm-hmm. but I'm I'm prepared for anything I, I as long as as long as the name of the writer and publisher stays the same right. <laughs> so what is your setup do you have your own publishing company you know are you with ASCAP or BMI kind of talk about sort of the the backroom stuff of of how you're the Tom Brislin business is set up? Uh, back when, yeah, during college days, I started, uh, you know, publishing entity called Briz Music and I affiliated with BMI. I still am. And over the, cor- the past few years uh, with these sort of third, you know, these companies that have offered admin services, like uh, uh, like Song Trust, I work with them now. Right. Uh, so Briz Music, the, the Song Trust does the admin for that. Uh, different members of Kansas uh, have different publishing admins, um, but that's that's what I'm working with now. And it's sort of it's kind of an experiment mm-hmm. um, to to see how that whole thing works. And so far, I've been pretty pleased. Um, and then. And here's, which I think is kind of pulls in everything because I want to get into as much as you can are comfortable talking about when you when you were asked to join the band and become a full-fledged member of the band and then you get paid, whatever you get paid from the band. Does that go to Tom Brislin or does that go to Brislin LLC um, for, for tax purposes? You know, I'm just curious about how you set that part up as well. Well, I, I will say this, that I was given options. Like when, and so I would say if anyone is, is getting um, into a group or an entity or something, have that conversation. Um, Cause I, and 
for different groups I've played, I've seen it shake out different ways. I've been an employee, just straight up employee uh, for the work. The publishing and all that stuff is a little bit different, you know, because that's that goes to your entity. Um, but there's also been, you know, I've been a contractor. And so, you know, the group can can deal with an LLC or they can deal with an individual. Um, so I think for each person has to figure out how, you know, what works best for them and their particular tax situation and um, legal protection and, and things like that. So I, I can't make a, I can't say which one is, <laughs> is, is right. the best, but I, I, I've sort of, I've, I've seen it all. <laughs> right, right. And do you have, do you guys have a band contract? Do you have a contract with the band stating outright, this is uh, your portion of the band and what that, entails whether it's website whether it's whatever and how they can kick you out or how and also are you do you have say in bringing in new members of the band since there has been turnover over the years um i am not there yet mm -hmm. i think i think it's like there's still remember when when we got shut down last year i had just completed my first year with the group um so um you know, it, it's, I, I don't want to say too much, but I, I would say that the, anything can, can take shape. But for me, it, it's like, I still want, I need to, you know, need to get established and just make sure that everything that was put before me was something that I was comfortable with and something that I liked and something that didn't tie my hands in the future. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there, there wasn't, you know, because they didn't, they didn't even know what my song sounded like yet when they, when they get said, okay, show us your song. <laughs> so that they, they, I will say the group has, has shown me a lot of trust and I try to just keep that trust going by taking the music as seriously as possible and doing my homework and, and, and coming with energy. Mm -hmm. That's, that's one thing that the quote new guys got to do. We got to come with that enthusiasm. And I always try to like, say all right you know what was it like when i was in eighth grade or high school and start my first band and we imagine like there was nothing you wanted to do but rock out right. like uh, i don't want to talk about anything else but music i want let's write songs let's do a band you know let's get gear you know it's like i want to i always want to like look back at that 13 year old version of myself and say don't lose that so i i know that wasn't the original question and i kind of went off on a little tangent but, but it's um if I, if I bring that enthusiasm and I bring the energy, um, I feel like I can, like, if, if I want to offer an opinion on something, then maybe it'll be, you know, considered a little bit more rather than you can't just show up without any relationship and be like, I, I want this. I want that. I want that. But just to say, um, know your worth, of course, um, and, but look at, uh, look at upside potential. Like there's some groups that, you know, uh, a musician may be offered a gig to tour with a group and maybe a lot of work. Um, but will it all end in a year Yeah, or something like that? So, um, as it goes, uh, these, these type of things can be flexible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because you, you said know your worth and it's also, um, know your place. Which, which is important, you know, you, you keep, you've said a couple of times, which I think is, is healthy and good. I'm still the new guy, you know, Phil Ehart's been with the band since 1970, whatever. 
Mm-hmm. And he's not only the drummer, but he's the manager, you know, and, and there's still, even if he'd never admit it, there's got to be somewhere deep in there. There's a little bit of, I've been with this band forever and I know you're in and I'm giving you, welcoming you with open arms, but still I've been with this band since 1974 or whatever, you know, and you've been here with us for a year and a half. So there's, you know, no and, and there are some groups, I'm not necessarily speaking about Kansas because I actually don't know all the specifics, but I do know of some groups of this vintage where former band members are still involved yeah. in, in the company and in the splits and all that stuff. So, um, and there are some that, will have, you know, someone who's only, only wants to do the studio or something like that, or, or someone who's like their, their touring days or their band days are over, but they still want to see, um, they still want to govern what becomes of the band and what becomes mm-hmm. the music. So um, when you get into legacy bands, you're, you're not only dealing with the, the people you're currently working with all the time. It's like you're the new wife and you're dealing with the ex-wife. Yeah. Still hanging out. You know, they're always, always still bugging you about the kids. Yes, Dr. Saban, I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh, now with these legacy bands, not specifically Kansas, uh, writing for them, did they let you keep, for the most part, you're seeing 100% of the writing and publishing? Or did they come out with the idea, well, this is going to go because... It's X, brand X, and so on. The group I'm in is uh, quite fair about it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the writing reflects um, what has actually been done in the song. Um, for instance, a song like Throwing Mountains, if you look at the credits, Zach Rizvi, he wrote the music. And I wrote the majority of the lyrics, but it was Phil who gave me Throwing Mountains and some of the ideas so he's he's in the writing um and so uh everything you see as far as credits on this i think is an accurate portrayal but we all know that there are times when it's it's best to keep things simple it's interesting i was just listening to the the getty lee interview he did with dan rather and he talked about how rush made early on they decided to just split the everything three ways and I think that you too might have done that too back in the day. Yeah, and I was like, isn't it interesting that those are two bands that had their original lineup? Well, Rush was very early when Neil joined, but like they, they didn't have a, a parade of different players. And so they just said, We're, everybody's taken care of. <laughs> Whether or not The Edge writes the song or Bono writes a song or whoever, you know what I mean? They just, that worked for them and that kept them whole. So, but with, with Kansas, it's like, you'll see a song on the album that, that I wrote music and lyrics for, and, and I'm listed as this whole writer. Um, so uh, Kansas, I think is, goes for, you know, a, a fair and, and accurate way of, of, of doing things. But I, I know what you mean. Yeah. If, it, if we were trying to get an, a song on a mega star, pop stars, album we all know that since the madonna days it's just like oh you want to be on my record and guess who's your co-writer right. <laughs> yeah. i am you know so uh but yeah so um it's it's it, it's been pretty good and again i think it's just because it's a realistic pie you know it, it were um it, it is 
in this certain niche and it, it's, it's going pretty well, but you never know. I mean, you never know what, what one of these songs might get picked up by some show or some sort of placement and any, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. I talked about that. Uh, we have about two minutes left. Um, do you have a final question, Marconi? Otherwise I'll bring you. Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. Often I've said to graduating, not only jazz majors, but I used to say it in Syracuse too, when they're ready to leave, I said, okay, now don't let your musical training get in the way of making money. You agree with that? Um, <laughs> that's, that's a funny way of looking at it. Um, I would say, let your musical training help you make money. <laughs> yes. You know, like if you if you got it, um, there's nothing to be ashamed about. But I, I I do know what you're saying because I, I there were some groups that I worked with early on, even during the college days, where I mean they didn't even know the names of the notes they were playing. Right. But they had this music that I just loved it. It was awesome. It was so creative and fresh, and they were good people. And and I was like, I wanna I wanna get in there, but. I don't want to, yeah, in that regard, I don't want to alienate people and be like, well, actually, that's the dominant and that doesn't, yeah. I don't know, you know, that, that, you know, don't, don't be like that. I just want to, for me, the musical training definitely makes it a lot easier to communicate with each other musically. Yeah. And, to, and, and I think that's, that's such an important thing. So use your music training to help you understand each other more and understand the situation and help you be understood. But if you're in a situation where, they don't speak that language. Don't don't overlook it if it's if it's something special. Mm-hmm. A good way to say it. That's very good. Uh, my final question is: It's uh, the first week of September, and we're talking with you. And it was pretty easy to schedule this. What 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 are the road plans for Kansas going forward? Obviously, because of COVID and everything. So yeah, we we picked up um, earlier this year. We did a few shows in May. They were outdoors. Uh, really well. And we've, we've done a couple more since, but now that we're in September, we're, we're picking up and it's sort of a combination of new bookings and rescheduled dates. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of an, it's not the typical tour schedule. Like we're kind of jumping around the country a bit, but we sort of do that anyway. Um, but this, we'll finish off the year with, with a lot in September, a few things in October and you know, pretty busy in November and up, up until, you know, before Christmas, not as packed as we were in 2019, because we're still dealing with promoters and, and, and venues. And we were supposed to do a few shows with Leonard Skinner and they canceled. Um, that was back in, in August. So um, it, we're staying flexible and you never know what the, what's going to happen with this environment and what's, what's going on now. But should they go off like as scheduled we're getting we're getting back to sort of a healthy tour schedule and definitely for 2022 we'll be we'll be out a lot how big are the venues that you guys play i was gonna say that um arena shows we do uh theaters mostly um in when we do our big show uh and like we did the beacon theater which was amazing uh, and I did that with Meatloaf as well. It's a great, you know, it's a very special <laughs> experience to play that. And uh, so that that size venue. Um, but we also in the summertime we'll play these festivals. Like we played the Alaska State Fair, which 
was massive. It's the whole state fair. <laughs> you know? And we just, you look out and there's 30,000 people there and, and um, eating corn dogs and stuff. So it's, uh, it's, but if we, we've played those type of big festivals and we'll even do like the casino type thing. We were scheduled to do um, an amphitheater tour with foreigner and the band Europe in 2020. And that got postponed, but we're hoping that comes back, but that would be places around here, like PNC art center, Jones beach, the sheds. Yeah. The sheds that like what I did with yes and meatloaf and stuff like that. So it's a good size, good size show. Great show. I'm proud to be part of it. Well, this has been a great podcast and we're yes. happy you were a part of it. Yes. As he coughs, coughs up a, a lung. But, uh, by the way, Tom has been smoking like a chimney this whole time. So That's not true, kids. <laughs> That's right, kids. <laughs> I've been lying, kids. No, Tom has been great. But Dr. Esteban, we need to wrap this up. Okay. So Tom, at the end of every show, we don't Finally say goodbye. No, we don't. We don't say goodbye. I'm sorry. You're still take one more drag on that cigarette. Tom. <laughs> no, no Again, kids, he's joking. No There's no okay. smoking. There's joking, no but no smoking. Yes. So, um, all right. So uh, what we say at the end of every show, it's not uh, goodbye. That would be silly. So at the end of every show, we say. Adios. Adios. Earth, Earth to me, embrace the taste, sweet relief I'm launching myself out from your orbit Time and time and time again, I hear your voice in my head I'm thinking that baby just not worth it Ooh, looking under rocks and behind every tree Find me Struggle on through the week To get a hit Devil's treat I could overdose And you'd ignore it You're so vain I'm naive Admit this way To which leave You have your tricks up And enjoy it Is this why cursing feels like